wife and I uh, turned Global News on at noon today, yeah. and they said there was a pop-up clinic. Tonight, surprise pop-up vaccinations, and why some are going to great lengths for their shot at immunity. Plus... You need to stop putting things like this up. You are traumatizing seniors. Shock and disgust at anti-Semitic graffiti aimed at Dr. Bonnie Henry and... Take what you need, give what you can, and that's pretty much it. The grassroots project that's more proof, more people are needy, and most are kind. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It is the hottest commodity in the world right now, a vaccine against COVID-19. And here, most don't care if it's AstraZeneca, Pfizer or Moderna. So when a drop-in clinic was suddenly announced today in South Langley, there was no shortage of people over the age of 40 lining up to get the jab. Paul Johnson has more. There was a time in the not-too-distant past when if you told people that the highlight of their weekend was getting a shot in the arm, they would have laughed. Welcome to the spring of 2021. Yeah, I just had my shot. Uh, it was great. It was unexpected. My wife and I uh, turned global news on at noon today. Yeah. And they said there was a pop-up clinic at the LEC. Upbeat and relieved is how many appeared at the Langley Event Center Sunday after a surprise announcement from Fraser Health. And in addition to servicing their scheduled appointments, anyone 40 and up in South Langley Township could drop in to get their first shot of Pfizer. Yeah, I've only got one more to go and then it's home free. And I'm 43, so I thought, well, hell, yeah. might, as well, might as well go. <laughs> might as well go and get her done. And then there was this story from the legendary Global News cameraman, Steve Lyons. And they said, ask if I was over 60. And I said, well, unfortunately, I am. Sent to cover the story, then invited in for an unexpected vaccination when someone noticed his eligibility. How's that for occupational hazard? Needles nowadays, they're, uh, didn't even feel it, nothing. I, it's been an hour now, I'm okay. And they but don't get any big ideas about working in front of the camera. Steve in Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, uh, some workplace closures in Fraser Health, what can you tell us about what they say? Yeah, they're starting to mount in number calling. So keep in mind, Dr. Bonnie Henry issued a public health order April 8th that said uh, basically any cases of three people testing positive or more at any work uh, site, workplace, means uh, public health and WorkSafe could be, BC could go in and shut that business down for at least 10 days. I just looked at the list as of Friday. Very interesting. Almost 50 closures so far in Fraser Health alone. I, I separated them by sector rather than naming individual uh, businesses. But you can see industry and manufacturing far and away has the most closures but take a look at what's number two fitness gyms and studios have nine closures retail has the same number offices uh, food and fast food franchises a number of those in Fraser Health being closed as well and personal services such as uh, barbers and stylists and such so that's 49 closures or close to 50 closures in just 10 days calling wow. which shows that this is happening at a far greater clip than I think a lot of people anticipated I don't have Vancouver Coastal's numbers because they take them off as soon as they clear the 10 days. As of now, I think they've got about a half dozen listed on their health authority and, of course, much lower numbers on the island, interior, and the north. But Fraser Health, where, you know, more COVID has been since day one than anywhere else, is where we're seeing a significant number of businesses having to close for at least 10 days because three or more people test positive. 
Wow. Uh, Keith, we have a briefing tomorrow and then another mm -hmm. one later in the week. What are you expecting to learn about enforcement of the new travel restrictions? Yeah, I think we're going to learn about enforcement sometime in midweek in terms of what the role the police will be playing in various police detachments around the province, where the checks could be, the counterattack-like checkpoints you're going to have to go through on certain highways. Public Safety Minister Mike Farmer has already identified places like the Colquhalla Highway, Highway 1, for example, on the outskirts of Metro Vancouver, likely having some checkpoints, but obviously in other areas of the province will be there as well. And of course, tomorrow, Colleen, three days worth of numbers. We've been averaging about 954 cases a day of COVID going into the weekend. Hopefully that doesn't translate into continued numbers like that. We want, we want to bring those numbers down. See you on BC One tomorrow afternoon. Thanks, yeah. Keith. Well, the pent-up demand for vaccines, especially AstraZeneca for the 40-plus crowd, can't be underestimated right now. After registering for the age-based rollout, then adding their names to pharmacy wait lists, a Vancouver couple went to great lengths to get their first shots. Kristen Robinson has their story. I feel great. She feels totally normal. <laughs> I feel terrible, but I've never been happier to feel terrible. Cat <laughs> Hambly and Janella David satisfying their quest for AstraZeneca. A bit crazy, but no regrets. Yeah. As the current provincial and national masters weightlifting champions, the pair didn't expect to do this much heavy lifting before their next competition. We were honestly just waiting our turn and then when they opened it up for the 40 plus, it was like, okay, we, need, we really need to do this. The personal trainers and life partners went for it. After learning some got the jab at a pop-up clinic in Vancouver Friday, they lined up with hundreds of others early Saturday, only to be told the doses ran out. We were frustrated. We came home. We opened our computers and started calling Jumped pharmacies. On yeah, we, we're on wait lists everywhere already. Their vaccine chase stalled until they got word of extra doses in Whistler and called Shoppers Drug Mart for the win. The pharmacist was so kind, offered us 2, 4, and 5 p.m. So, like the Ikea ad, I said, start, start the, car. the car. Start the car! Start the car! I asked, you know, would it be okay, given that we're from Kitsilano? And he said, no problem. We packed snacks so we wouldn't have to pull over and stop anywhere. We had what we needed to get there and come home immediately. David was prepared for backlash over their vaccine trip, but instead says reaction has been uplifting. This was the easiest decision, crazy decision I've ever made. Sending a message to the rest of our staff and clients that, you know, we're vaccinated and, uh, you know, we're doing our part. We did a good thing. <laughs> we got jabbed. Holding on to proof of vaccine is the early prize as they train to compete virtually at the World Championships in May. Just be hungry for it. Uh, you know, I think it, this is a time where we have to take our health into our own hands and do what we got to do. Kristen Robinson. Global News. As Keith mentioned, we will learn more about BC's latest travel restrictions this week. They've only been in place for a few days, but there are already concerns accommodation operators will be called on to police the circuit breaker measures. Kimberly Davidson reports. We are working with the, uh, with the Tourism Association uh, to encourage uh, tourism operators, for example, let's say in the Okanagan, uh, to not accept out-of-area, out-of-province bookings uh, and to, uh, to cancel uh, uh, bookings that have already been made. And that is exactly what the Incomeep RV Park, owned and operated by the Osoyas Indian Band, is doing. 
canceling all reservations from now through May 25th made by anyone from outside the province's interior and northern health regions. The band's CEO saying in a statement, a Soyuz Indian band is taking this proactive step to provide for the safety of its members, operators and visitors. But the BC Hotel Association is taking a different approach. It, along with three other provincial tourism organizations, worked with the government to develop a travel toolkit that clearly outlines what constitutes essential travel and what does not. It allows accommodation and tourism operators to clearly communicate the order and what it means to guests. We then are asking those residents of British Columbia or whoever has those bookings, if they're for non-essential purposes, to either move their booking or cancel their booking. But once the information is available to would-be travellers, the association is not asking operators to force people booking rooms to in any way prove why they are doing so. But for us to be the enforcer is, is completely, we don't have the skills to do that, nor do we have the training to do that. And we already are often put in positions that are really difficult. Ingrid Jarrett says the association is in full support of the travel restrictions circuit breaker, and it is up to individuals to take responsibility and curb the spread of COVID. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. As the COVID crisis rages on, Turkish Airlines is launching direct flights to Vancouver starting next month. Ads are popping up on social media and radio for the Vancouver is Calling campaign. Turkish Airlines will offer Istanbul to Vancouver flights three times a week beginning May 2nd. The Doctors of BC president was quick to tweet, Oh no, Vancouver is not calling. Dr. Matthew Chow says his colleagues have their hands full dealing with a global pandemic and traveling in or out of B.C. is not a healthy choice right now. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control lists Turkey as a level four red alert due to a very high level of COVID-19 and all travel to the country should be avoided. But we're in the middle of a global health emergency right now. Now is not the time to be traveling. Now is not the time to be engaging in international travel. We know that we had significant importation of COVID cases and variants in the past. Um, and so we've, we've got to learn from those lessons. So yeah, my message to people right now is this is not a good time to be doing it. It's not particularly safe. Earlier this week, the federal government banned all private and commercial passenger flights from India and Pakistan for the next 30 days due to the exploding COVID-19 rates in both of those countries. Graffiti comparing BC's chief medical health officer to a notorious Nazi is drawing widespread condemnation and it has Jewish groups asking anyone with information to call police. Graffiti scrawled in Vancouver's David Lamb Park reads Dr. Bonnie Henry Mengele. It's presumed to be a reference to Joseph Mengele. He was a Second World War German doctor and SS officer, also known as the Angel of Death, for performing horrific medical experiments on prisoners at the Auschwitz death camp. Other anti-Semitic graffiti at the park targets the premier. What you're doing is wrong. You need to stop it. You need to stop putting things like this up. You are traumatizing seniors. You are making a comparison that is that is completely inaccurate and you're defaming the Holocaust at the same time, which should have a sacred place in our society. 
Police across Metro Vancouver continue to face verbal and physical abuse during the pandemic. Officers in New Westminster are the latest to come under attack. Deputy Chief Constable Paul Hyland took to Twitter to detail an incident last night. One of his members was punched in the face while making an arrest and two others were intentionally coughed on by a man claiming to have COVID. All three are now off work. Another concern, many members under 40 haven't been vaccinated. It's a challenging job. We understand there's risk uh, for police officers, but it's, uh, I find it very frustrating when uh, members are openly assaulted for doing their job. Um, you know, it's, uh, they, they don't get paid to get punched in the face. They don't get paid to be coughed on or spat on. Um, they're out there day in, day out, protecting the community and doing their best. They're people just like uh, everyone else. They have families and extended families. So the stress of potentially contracting COVID uh, is, uh, is a big factor for them. Since April of last year, Vancouver police say their frontline members have been subjected to spitting assaults and continue to experience attacks ranging from heckling and verbal abuse to more violent confrontations while just doing their jobs. A shoe swap MLA is speaking out at a vaccination center staffing program that he believes is out of line with his community's needs right now. In Salmon Arm, an initiative to employ laid-off tourism workers at clinics has displaced some local volunteers. That's left the MLA concerned about the added expense and possible unnecessary travel. Megan Turcato has more. My heart is with the volunteers, right? Uh, we know our society and our small communities run largely on a lot of the uh, manpower and horsepower provided by volunteers. But the Shushwap MLA says he's heard from volunteers at Salmon Arm's COVID-19 vaccine clinic who didn't get much respect this week. Greg Kylo says they were let go. And adding insult to injury, uh, they've been replaced with paid Red Cross workers uh, that have been flown in from across Canada. I can't imagine uh, the cost, but it must be in the magnitude of seven or $8,000 a week to displace volunteers who are doing a fantastic job assisting with vaccinations here in Salmon Arm uh, for the last five weeks. It's part of a provincial initiative the Premier announced in March to help some of BC's hardest-hit industries while bolstering the vaccine effort. Some 1,400 uh, laid-off tourism and hospitality workers will now be doing non-clinical staff work within our immunization centers. The health authority is defending the move, saying there will still be a role for volunteers, but by transitioning some of the work to paid staff, the immunization center will be even more stable and reliable in the long term. Still, it's not sitting well with the MLA, who's concerned about both unnecessary expense and unnecessary travel. There's no need, and I certainly don't want to disparage the great work of the Red Cross across Canada, but in Salmon Arm, we did not need the assistance. And so we have paid staff, two individuals coming from, uh, you know, across Canada that had not even been vaccinated, and you kind of just got to shake your head and think, what is government thinking? The health authority did not comment directly on Kylo's allegations that some of the staff are coming in from out of province and have not been vaccinated but said the Red Cross aims to hire locally and that Red Cross workers will be immunized if they're eligible or when vaccine becomes available. Megan Turcato, Global News, Salmon Arm. Residents of a Vancouver neighbourhood are shaken by what they witnessed yesterday when a fight between teens ended with one of them being stabbed and critically injured. Grace Key reports from Vancouver's Almond Park. 
Neighbors we spoke with say the fight appeared to have happened just in Almond Park right behind me here, which is near Alma and West 12th Avenue. Now it appears at some point the teens all started running and then they ended up just across the street, just around the corner from the park. So this all unfolded at on Saturday just before 2 p.m. Neighbors say they were at least half a dozen teens fighting. A baton of some sort could be seen on the ground. Neighbors heard people yelling. That's initially what caught their attention. And then they saw one person who had blood along the side of his face. That's when neighbors called 911. Witnesses say a young teenager was on the ground just on the boulevard suffering from apparent stab wounds and an adult male was giving him CPR. Neighbors say police had one teen in handcuffs on the ground. He was asked if he had any weapons and he did tell police that he had a knife. Many of the teens actually started taking off and running just up the hill next to the park. At least four of the teens did remain on the scene when police arrived. Again, one teenager is in critical condition. Another person is under arrest right now. This is still very early on in the investigation, so not a lot of details coming out so far. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. A dramatic scene in downtown Vancouver early this morning as officers arrested an assault suspect. Police say they were called to Pacific Boulevard near Drake at about 3.30 this morning following reports of a man threatening a security guard with a hammer. He then allegedly threatened the officers. Police say a taser and beanbag shotgun were used to take the suspect into custody. The 42-year-old could face several charges including assaulting an officer and uttering threats. He was taken to hospital with minor injuries. Investigators are looking at whether mental health or drugs played a role in the incident. Coming up next, no more free parking in one of Vancouver's most popular destinations. Plus, the grassroots initiative that shows how generous even people in need can be. And the 50-year anniversary today of what was then a very special arrival at YVR. Next. The pandemic has heightened concerns about food insecurity, but people in some B.C. neighbourhoods are trying to do something about that. Imadi Gahi reports on the grassroots movement to install and operate free communal fridges and pantries. It's a simple idea, as grassroots as the ground it stands on. The rules are really loose. I mean, we want people to take what you need, give what you can, and that's pretty much it. There's no lock or key to this cabinet in Vancouver's Marple neighborhood. It is there for donations of food and hygiene products that anyone can take, no questions asked. Right, when I first moved into the neighborhood years and years ago as a young person, I was in that situation. And I may not have, you know, come to a lineup, but I may have come to a pantry like this when it was, I felt like there was privacy, grabbed some pads, other things that I needed that cost a lot of money. Across town in East Vancouver, a similar community pantry has also popped up, along with a fridge. Uh, fresh produce is a big one. That's something that we always like look forward to having in the fridge. Uh, bread, like we've also got a pantry here, so there's like dry goods, pasta, canned foods, things like that. Also like menstrual products. We're low barrier, we're open to anybody, and there's not going to be any questions asked with, like why you need the food. It's organizers helped by a local resident who's offered up a spot on his property. One aspect of it that's really uh, struck me is that nobody ever takes it all. Nobody ever takes everything they can get. It's, they, they always leave some for others. And I, I really think that's touching, you know. 
Those behind Vancouver's small but growing community fridge and pantry projects say their model of distributing food can be more accessible than traditional programs. And it's also 24-7. Like this one in particular, you can just yeah. come and access at like 3 a.m. or 11 a.m. It's here for everyone at all mm-hmm. times. They say the pandemic has worsened food security everywhere and are helping and encouraging more people to get involved. Amadagahi, Global News. It's a -a one-of-a-kind design that could solve some housing issues. An apartment building constructed entirely of shipping containers. Have a look at this. The final pieces were put into place last week on a six-story apartment complex in Utah. The building is appropriately called the Box 500 Apartments. The design process started back in 2017 and ground was broken in February of 2020, right as the pandemic began. With lumber prices skyrocketing, the developers say their design that uses eco-friendly materials will save locals hundreds in rent each month and could be used as a prototype for affordable housing in other cities. The grace period of all-day free parking in Granville Island will soon end. Pay parking between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. is set to resume on Saturday, May 1st. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which operates the site, says it allowed the free parking to help area businesses cope during the pandemic. But right now, it says the parking is being used by people making trips to the area who don't necessarily patronize island businesses. Vancouver International Airport can feel like a bit of a ghost town these days, a stark contrast from exactly 50 years ago today when the arrival of a brand new kind of plane caused a bit of a sensation. This is film footage of the first Boeing 747 flight from Toronto to Vancouver touching down on April 25, 1971. Yes, the year the Beatles broke up. The jumbo jet with the two aisles and a spiral staircase to the upper deck quickly became a passenger favorite and the most iconic aircraft of its time. Today, 747 sightings at YVR are rare. British Airways was among the last passenger carriers to fly them here regularly, but retired its fleet last fall. That's cool. When we come back, COVID comparison. Where does BC sit compared to the rest of the country? And as case numbers continue to rise, what Ontario is doing to help free up hospital beds? And what India is calling for as the country is overwhelmed. As the news hour continues. The pandemic's third wave is hitting Canada hard. Across the country, the rate of active cases remains higher than during most of the last year. Nearly 11 million people have received at least one dose of vaccine. That's about a third of the population. But the case numbers are still climbing, with nearly 7,000 positive tests just today. And keep in mind, not all provinces are reporting over the weekend. And doctors and nurses are preparing for more hospitalizations and ICU admissions because, as Mike Drolet explains, COVID can cut lives short in an instant. Warren Montgomery had become a fixture in Regina's food scene with his Louisiana-style cooking. Everybody, his wife Rochelle says, seemed to know and love him. And now they'll all likely want to go to his funeral after a short and painful fight with COVID-19. He was coughing so hard till he would throw up, and then... Once that would happen, like he couldn't breathe, he couldn't catch his breath. Um, It got to the point where he couldn't say a sentence, like he had to struggle with each word. The Montgomerys and their two daughters all contracted the virus, but it was Warren that got hit the hardest. In the span of a week, he went from a positive test to the ICU. I stayed with him and uh, it was only a matter of minutes and uh, 
he was gone. It's just like he went to sleep. Um, he was peaceful. It was quiet. The 42-year-old's case is not dissimilar to what doctors are seeing in hospitals across the country, younger and far sicker patients. A snapshot of COVID in Canadian hospitals paints a troubling picture. The latest data shows a 22% increase in hospitalizations week over week, while ICU cases increased 21%. Ontario continues to be the hotspot in the country, but BC, Alberta and Saskatchewan are all seeing record numbers of hospitalizations. And in Atlantic Canada, Nova Scotia hospitals are prepping for new patients after recording its highest number of daily cases since the pandemic began. How are you doing, Dr. Strang? Thanks, Premier, for asking, but I have to say I'm a little nervous. Nova Scotia's Premier and top doctor couldn't hide their anxiety, nor their anger at residents who have been hosting large parties. But the current fine does not seem to be enough of a deterrent. So we're doubling our fines from $1,000 to $2,000. What they don't want is to become another Ontario, where virtually the entire medical system is geared towards treating COVID-19 patients. Toronto's Mount Sinai Hospital recently opened up a third ICU. And now really the biggest problem is, you know, we've created this capacity, but it's really a human resource issue, right? We just don't have enough people to be able to care for all these patients. Ontario's Premier requested nursing help from Atlantic Canada, but it looks like they may soon be busy. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. Ontario's Ministry of Long-Term Care is trying to free up badly needed hospital beds. The measures target hospital patients waiting for placement in long-term care facilities. It will see the province waive fees for patients who agree to take a spot in a home that may not be their first choice. The province is hoping the move could ease the strain on its hospital system stretched to the max by mounting COVID-19 cases. Another off-the-charts day of new COVID cases in India. The country is setting global records for new daily cases and running out of oxygen supplies and hospital beds. India's prime minister is urging all citizens to be vaccinated and exercise caution. But the situation is bad and getting worse. Just today, India reported nearly 350,000 new cases. That's a world record. India has now set the world record for most new infections per day, every day, for the past four days. But experts say that those numbers are probably underreported. Right now, the health system in India is being badly stressed by the huge influx of patients. People need meds here. People need wards here. People need injections. People need medicines. Many hospitals are turning away patients because they don't have oxygen. So we need oxygen immediately. And my, our uh, uh, persons are uh, wandering here and there for oxygen, but uh, there is no help, no hope. People are dying on the streets in front of hospitals, and many are turning to the black market in order to just get basic drugs in order to treat themselves and their family members. I have money, I have everything, but I can't save my sister. Because no bed, nothing, nothing like that. So this tragic situation is still ongoing. There's a massive Hindu festival that was allowed to happen. It involves millions of people and has, for the past couple of weeks, it looks as though many Indians are still not taking this seriously enough to prevent the spread of COVID that has already taken so many lives there. Matt Bradley, NBC News, London. Still to come, Sophie Louie talks to members of our community dealing firsthand with a serious and growing problem. But first this. Oh 
race between man and beast, or in this case, woman and dog. How? Why? Well, we'll explain as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The dog that just couldn't help get in on the action at a high school relay race. We'll have that story for you right after the forecast. But first, a forgotten piece of Vancouver's past has been uncovered purely by chance. A demolition crew discovered this ghost sign near East Hastings and Penticton Streets yesterday. According to Heritage Vancouver, it dates between 1925 and 1928. It markets a long-gone bakery which used to deliver bread door-to-door. -door. The building is due to be torn down, but this afternoon, Heritage Vancouver said there's a plan to preserve the sign and reinstall it inside the building. That is great news. Yeah. Yvonne is off tonight. Kasha is here. Thanks for Hello. coming in, Kasha. Um, inside is where I think a few people were today because of the weather. Yeah. Indeed. Hey, but we're starting to clear out already oh, as forecast. You can see, I don't know if I want to call this a sunny break out there. Still mainly cloudy skies, definitely breaks in the precipitation, and there still is a chance of precipitation tonight. And I've got a very spring-like forecast for you for this next week. It's 10 degrees. We reached a daytime high of 12 for us across the lower mainland. Across the southern third of the province, it was cooler than usual. Look at that, only 10 degrees in Osoyas and Cranbrook even had some snow this morning. The hot spot or the warmest spot in the province today was Bella Coola, and I take you now to the Bella Coola Valley. Dee Dee brings us this one. This is Mount Nusetsum. I got it right, Mount Nusetsum. And that's the moon, the nearly full moon over it yesterday, uh, last night. And the full, full moon will be happening tomorrow night, by the way. This was taken also last night by Robert Elliott. Purden Lake, clear skies over the caribou. It has been so amazing. And you can see the northern lights off in the distance and some stars. Beautiful. Okay, so moving forward, overnight low of seven cloudy skies to kick off the day tomorrow with a chance of an isolated shower tomorrow morning and early afternoon. Then looking up to a sun cloud mix late afternoon afternoon and 15. Boy, what a different weather picture over here. The Kootenai Pass right now. It looks like a blizzard out there. Winter storm with an additional 5 to 10 centimeters of snow with this weather advisory still in effect for Paulson Summit to Kootenai Pass. And it's all thanks to uh, low pressure that's sitting just to the south of the uh, B.C. border in Idaho. You can see some thunderstorms over here in Washington. Not ruling out the chance of a thunderstorm for us as well. Uh, that's going to be in the southeast of the province. You can see that in your future radar returns. Still some precipitation tomorrow. We do have some snow in the northeast of the province. And then the next system is impacting the north coast. That's going to be on our Tuesday. That'll be bringing us rain over the south coast on Wednesday. So here's your tomorrow across the north of the province. It's going to be a beauty of a day. I mentioned the snow in the northeast. 15 in Prince George under sunny skies. It's going to be an 18 degree weather day. Kelowna 20 in Kamloops. Could see some morning flurries as well as morning showers in the southeast of the province tomorrow. Also, I mentioned the possibility of an isolated shower tomorrow early day, but then it's going to be a sun cloud mix, and that's your main bright spot for this next week. It's going to be a little bit unsettled over the next few. All righty. Thanks so much, Kasha. A surprise sprinter named Holly proved her skills when she joined a high school track race in Utah right in the middle of the relay. Watch the top of your screens here. <laughs> Yeah, Holly sees the runners holding batons and she just couldn't help herself. She joins the race in fourth place but eventually passes everyone. And while Holly crossed the finish line first, the first human to finish was awarded the win. Oh, Holly, what a cutie.
I love so it. So funny. Yeah. Try and top that in your sports cast, Barry. Yeah, dogs are just faster, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but they'll just keep on fetching, won't they? No love kidding. that part. Uh, well, the Canucks had a pretty good first week back, three and one, but now uh, things get real tough on the road, so we'll set uh, that up, what's ahead for them, at least for the next three weeks as they finish off their regular season. And Bianca Andreescu won a lot of championships in 2019. This year, she just continues uh, to injure herself or get sick, so we have another Aww. update on that. So Bianca just can't get out of her own way, it seems, right mm, now. It's a shame. Yeah. All right, looking forward to it anyway. Thanks, Bear. Coming up next, shining a light on a dark issue. I was like, he spat on the wrong person. That was how it went through my mind. NewsHour anchor Sophie Louie reports on a growing problem in our community made worse by the pandemic. Next. For months, we've been reporting on the massive increase in anti-Asian racism in our communities, a more than 700% increase last year in Vancouver. The pandemic has seen some wrongly blame innocent people of Asian descent for the spread of COVID. But as Sophie Louie reports, while the phenomenon has grown, it's hardly new. What kind of things are, are spray painted or written? Uh, a lot of anti-Asian stuff, uh, a lot of hate, a um, lot of obscene kind of stuff. Constable and Byron Yi has walked the streets of Vancouver's Chinatown for years, first as a kid, now as a VPD officer, seeing firsthand the alarming spike in racism since the pandemic began and causing concern for his own family's safety. I didn't worry about, uh, about my dad coming out here, but ever since COVID hit, I do worry about him coming out here a lot more now. And it's not just in Chinatown. Asian people have become targets throughout B.C. Trixie Ling was out for a walk last May when a man made sexist and racist comments to her and spat in her face. I remember thinking to myself, being so angry afterward, that I was like, he spat on the wrong person. That was how it went through my mind when I was so angry knowing that this has happened to so many people and that it happened to me too. While racial slurs and graffiti may seem relatively harmless, we've seen how things can escalate. What happens is that you may have a suspect or a person of interest who today is just angry and yelling at somebody and tomorrow that same person um, decides I'm gonna I'm going to do something criminal. I'm going to assault the person. I'm going to punch him in the head. Metro Vancouver is often thought of as Canada's most Asian city, but the sharp rise in incidents has revealed a racist undercurrent some say has always been here. I think that it's been a riptide that has shaped this city. COVID is, of course, the latest issue to come in that age, but I think prior to this, you can imagine that it's the issue of housing and residential real estate mixed in with the economy and jobs. The pandemic brought it back to the surface, but the concern is anti-Asian sentiment will remain even after COVID is gone. We have to speak up. We have to take up space because this is not something that we can just minimize anymore because it's actually killing people. New York City's hate crime task force is investigating a brutal attack on an Asian man that left him in critical condition. And we should warn you, the surveillance video is disturbing. It shows the man getting kicked repeatedly in the head Friday night in East Harlem. The 61-year-old man was collecting cans when he was attacked from behind and knocked to the ground. The man is in critical but stable condition and so far, no arrests. Coming up next, Barry has sports, including some bad news for Canada's favorite tennis star. And later.
We found a message in a bottle, a legit message in a bottle. How a child's wish came true nearly 30 years later. We'll explain on the news hour. Get your body moving this May. BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer invites British Columbians to move every day in May, no matter where they are, in support of BC cancer patients across the province. Register for this accessible challenge at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Join VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation for the BMO Capital Markets Innovators Challenge as three teams engage in a spirited battle for funding to advance innovative ideas designed to transform healthcare. Register online. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. How an Alberta child's message in a bottle is fulfilled three decades after she set it adrift. We're going to have that for you right after Barry's sportscast. And Mine's still floating out there. So yeah. No one's gotten back to me, although my, my phone number's changed, I think. <laughs> think so. Uh, take it away, Pear. All right, thanks, Colleen. The uh, Canucks completed their first week back with a 3-1 record and now head to Ontario for four games this week, Monday, Wednesday in Ottawa, Thursday, Saturday in Toronto. Hey, the Canucks are right in the playoff mix. Eight points back of Montreal, yes, but with five games in hand. But after easing into the restart with games every second night, things are going to get busy here. It'll be 15 games in 24 days to close out the schedule, so they will need all hands on deck to catch the Habs. It's going to be a grind. It's uh, going to challenge us. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, it's a... You gotta find that line of, of resting and, and still finding a way to be sharp during games because we're still in a, in a playoff race here that we believe we can um, come out on top and and uh, you know it's gonna take some some different guys, different nights, um, you know, coming up uh, doing things even better than they usually do, and then you know every guy showing up every game. So um, you know it's uh, now we start the, the real tough part of, of our schedule. And, Hey, we manage it. We got to go play the games, and if guys are banged up or not ready to go, we'll put new bodies in. Um, I'm not too worried about it. It is what it is. Can't worry about the things we can't control. You're right, Travis. NHL today, Pens and Bruins. Big 14 battle in the East Division, along with the Islanders and Caps. All of them still alive for first place. No scoring until the third. Sidney Crosby, great feed for Jake Gensel, his team leading 21st. It's 1-0 Pittsburgh. Surrey's Tristan Jari did the rest in the Penguins' goal. Stops the screen slapper from Charlie McAvoy. 30 saves for the shutout for Jari as the Pens vault past the Capitals into first in the East with 67 points. The Bruins are fourth, but just seven points back. Also tonight, Lightning and Blue Jackets. Tampa in a battle for first in the Central with Florida and Carolina. Bolts in third, four points behind the Canes. Second period, 2-1 Columbus until Braden Point sets up Matthew Joseph for the tap-in. It's 2-2. They would require overtime in this one, but not much of it. Just 10 seconds in, Victor Hedman snaps home the game winner from the slot. Lightning win it 4-3. 
Baseball today from Tampa, Blue Jays and Rays. Bottom of the fourth, this ain't good. Jays ace Hin Jin Ru forced to leave the game with an injury, but later he said he didn't feel it was that serious and is hoping to avoid getting put on the injured list. That would be great news. Scoreless in the fifth, Santiago Espinal will flare one out to center. Base hit, scores Marcus Semien. Jays lead 1-0 in the Toronto bullpen did the rest. Five of them combined with Ryu on a five-hit shutout. David Phelps got a couple of Ks in his inning of work. 1-0 in the final. Jays are now 10-11, three games behind first place Boston in the American League East. Well, more frustration for Canadian tennis fans as Bianca Andrescu is out of the Madrid Open and heading to quarantine after testing positive for COVID. So she'll be out two more weeks after taking the last three weeks to recover from an ankle injury suffered in the final at the Miami Open. It just never seems to end for Bianca. Injuries and illness keeping her off the court for much of the past 19 months. But she says she does feel good dealing with her COVID symptoms and is resting while following all health protocols. She should be able to get in one or two tournaments before the French Open, which begins May 30th, if she can stay healthy, that is. Meanwhile, final of the Barcelona Open, Rafa Nadal and Stefano Tsitsipas in an epic battle, and I mean epic. Rafa has won this tournament 11 times, seemed on his way, but Tsitsipas would not fold. Fights off match points in the second set. Outstanding volley there. Sent it to a tie break. Now CC pass with two set points. Hits the dropper, but Rafa has got some jump left in those 34-year-old legs. Chases it down and then lunges for the winner. But CC pass would win the tie break, forcing a third set and more tennis. That, this was just a marathon. Long points, incredible shot making. Rafa, though, would not be denied. He hates losing. Fought off a match point. Just pounded the ground strokes. Tsitsi pass on the run. Rafa then puts it away. And look how pumped up he is. He goes on to win his 12th Barcelona Open title in a staggering three hours, 38 minutes. Longest three-set tour final since they started tracking that stat in 1991. Nadal now has 61 ATP Tour clay court titles. The most ever, of course. Championship Sunday at Wembley. Carabao Cup. Man City meeting Tottenham. 82nd minute, City with the free kick, Kevin De Bruyne with the service, and Emmerich Laporte elevates and heads it in. That was unexpected, just his second goal of the season. It's the only goal of the match. Man City claiming its fourth straight Carabao Cup, eighth time they've won it. Man City looking for two more trophies this year, the Premier League and the UEFA Champions League. And final round of the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. The only team competition of the PGA Tour schedule playing alternate shot today. Ozzie Mark Leishman, third shot on the par 4 16th after his partner Cameron Smith hit his drive on the water, but Leishman chips it in for birdie. That would force a playoff with South Africans uh, Charles Schwartzel and Louis Oosthuizen. First playoff hole. Oosthuizen's tee shot is wayward. That is going to find the water on the par 5 18th. That is devastating. They would end up making a double bogey. Cameron Smith has two putts for the win. Knocks it in. And the Australians, Smith and Leishman, 
win the Zurich Classic and NASCAR Cup Series at Talladega this weekend for the Geico 500. It actually required overtime, so a two-lap sprint to the finish. Keep your eye on the number two green Ford Mustang driven by Brad Keselowski. He did not lead a lap during the race until overtime, and he got to the front, and despite a lot of mayhem going on behind him, Keselowski takes it to the finish line, his sixth career win at Talladega. There's Eric Jones in the 43, hitting the wall hard at the finish. First win of the 2021 season for Keselowski. And that's it for sports. Colleen. Was Ricky Bobby in any of those cars? I believe pretty much he was in all of those cars. <laughs> I suspect so. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. When we come back, the message in a bottle that served its purpose 30 years later. You'll want to stay with us for that. A message in a bottle has resurfaced nearly 30 years after it was written and tossed into a lake in Alberta by a little girl. And as Nicole Stilger reports, what she had hoped for has now happened. It was right here at Telford Lake in Leduc where, while on a community cleanup effort, Michelle Schwengler found a pretty cool surprise. It was a weird bottle. It, it looked old. And there was something inside the bottle. So she smashed it open and inside there was a note from a young girl written in 1993. I know I don't know you, but I would like to know who you are. I thought, oh my gosh, I have left so many messages and bottles as a kid and now I'm actually finding one. The mission now, track down the author. So Schwengler posted on social media. We found a message in a bottle, a legit message in a bottle. Within 24 hours, somebody had reached out and said, I think I was friends with this girl growing up in elementary school. And with that, she found Daryl Ann Steffen. She called me and she's like, I may have put a letter in a bottle that you found. I vaguely remember writing, maybe throwing it in the lake with my friend. It's really neat that it's still, still there and to see my writing after so many years. But reading the decades-old note back and laughing at the detailed drawing of her house, she remembers the goal, to make friends. You can visit me on Saturday, June 19th, 1993. My mom was really happy to find out I had drawn, drawn all the entrances <laughs> to our, our home on the, the picture, so, <laughs> and put our full address. And while no one ended up coming over that June 28 years ago, the message ultimately fulfilled its purpose. I did connect with even more people than I had planned. Signed, Daryl Ann. P.S. See you later. It worked. <laughs> Nicole Stilger, Global News. That's nice. Lucky a burglar didn't find it. <laughs> because all the entrances. Yeah. No kidding. Good thing there was no social media back in those days. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11 o'clock. And a very special thank you from me for welcoming me into your homes each weekend for the past two years. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Have a good night.